Praise God. Father, in Jesus' name, this is your house. Whenever two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of them. Lord, we thank you for the presence of God that breaks every yoke, that heals every heart, that encourages those that are discouraged, that strengthens those that are weak. Father, we thank you for your presence. And we pray that in the stillness, you are there. Lord, I pray for stillness across the congregation. I pray for quietness. Paul said to study, to be quiet. It's hard to settle our souls and to slow down from our weeks. But I pray that a, that a quietness would come over every soul. That a quietness would come over the mind. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal your secrets. The word says that you reveal your secrets to the people that, that are called by your name. Lord, reveal your secrets to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've been having some talks, um, and we've established that the human race has a dual problem. We have sin, and then we have sins. Our loving Father has provided with that a dual solution, Jesus' blood and the cross. Human beings sin, and sins have affected us in three ways. When we have sin or sins, it affects us in three ways. It affects us in our Godward relationship or that connection. It, sin or sins affect us manwardly, manwardly or on our insides, in our psyche. You know, you want to talk about somebody that taught on psyche a lot is Paul, all the time. And then, uh, and then sins have to deal with Satanward. How do we deal with the accuser? How do we deal with the assault of the enemy? How do we deal with those kind of things? And, and so it's, it, it's, it's three ways. We're born with that sin nature that causes us to commit numerous sins. When we accept the truth of Jesus and are born again, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And then we are then crucified with Christ. See, when you're forgiven of sins, forgiveness of sins is different than being crucified with Christ. So forgiveness is a cleansing, but then there comes a time where you're forgiven for your sins, plural. But then there comes a time where you need to crawl up on the cross with Jesus and be crucified with Christ so that that sin nature is destroyed. Are you all with me today? So, so they, they work together, you might say. And then after that, we're crucified with Christ. That makes us become dead to that sin nature. And when you see things that come up that seem to be sin nature, and say you give in to that and you're asking forgiveness, do that second part and not only just ask forgiveness for sins, but crawl on the cross and say, Lord, break that sin nature in me that causes me to be honorary with my wife. Break that sin nature that causes me to go down and repeat these habits and repeat these lifestyles. Break that sin nature. I'm crucified with you. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but now Christ lives in me. And this new life comes out of you. And the Bible says that the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power lives in you. Now, brothers and sisters, the church hears that, and it just kind of goes, zoom, zoom. But it's not going to do that in here because we prayed that we would be attentive and we would have revelation of secrets. Know this today, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead 
is the same power that when you're crucified with him, your sin nature is put on that cross. And that same power, you think you're powerless against some things, you're not. You think you're ineffective against some things, you're not. You think that you just can't overcome in every area. You can. You can. When you're crucified with Christ, you are crucified, but you are also raised in his likeness. And the same power that raised Christ lives in you, and you do have the power to overcome. You really do. You were dead. Colossians 2, 13 and 15 says, you were. Everybody say were, past tense. You were dead because of your sins. Look at this. It says in both. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sin nature was not yet cut away. That's what we're talking about is getting on the cross. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against you, nailed it to the cross, disarmed spiritual wickedness and authorities, disarmed them, disarmed rulers of this world, disarmed things that make you seem powerless. He shamed them publicly when he had victory over them in the cross of Christ. Somebody give the Lord praise for that. There's victory at the cross of Christ. So the forgiveness of sins, and the pur- I want to talk about two things today. The forgiveness of sin and the purging of our conscience. Again, we've defined conscience as this. I, I hope that you're saying, hey, this is about the third time he said that. That means you're starting to get it. The Lord will not let me move on from this message as hard as I try. Because this message is a liberator. It's a liberator to God's people. So when you hear conscience, conscience, what that means is that's the Greek word, son adidas. Son means together with, always present, always with you, an an abiding witness to, to the truth. So your conscience, it's always there. You can't get away from it. It's with you constantly. Edo is to know intuitively. It's an indoor, inborn truth without conscious reasoning. Now, I want to give you a scripture on this. Look at Romans 2, 14 and 15. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation, but I also am going to hit it in the New King James, okay? But conscience is a witness that gives you right and wrong. Your conscience is a moral compass, you might say. So the Bible says even Gentiles who, do not, who don't even have God's law. Think about it. People... How many of you have ever known somebody that seemed to live better than a Christian? You know they hadn't even picked up a Bible one time and read it. How many has known people like that? Amen? It's because of this right here. that The Bible says that the Gentiles, or the, that these are people that, that don't know Christ, who do, not have God's, who do not have God's written law in their hands. They didn't have the law of Moses in their hands, okay? But uh, in their hands. But they, they, but they know things. And they instinctively, here's that consciousness, they know things and they instinctively obey and have a moral compass in them, even without having even heard or read the law. That's what the Bible says. They demonstrate that God's law is written on every man and woman's heart. God's law is written on every man and woman's heart. For their own consciousness and their own thoughts Either accuse them or tell them what they're doing right. I, I want to read this in New King James, just that, that, that end part. It says their conscience bear witness and, and, and between themselves that knows their thoughts and their thoughts either 
accuse them or excuse them. Are y'all with me? Your conscience is either there saying, add a boy or add a boy. Or what'd you do, boy? Add a boy or what'd you do, boy? It's there saying, right or wrong. It's ever present, okay? Conscience is truthful. It's an abiding witness, and it can't be lied to. You can lie to people and cover stuff up and, and, and not be real with people and come in and act like everything's okay, but you can't do that with your conscience. Conscience is a truthful, abiding witness. In fact, God even said, when, when, Adam, and Eve sin, when Adam and Eve sinned, was it God's spirit that said, who told you you were naked? Or was it their insides that told them they were naked? It was their conscience told them that they were naked. It was their conscience that told them that you have sinned. So the conscience, it's a, it's a moral compass that's telling you right and wrong. It's a, it's a good thing. Their conscience told them what they had done wrong and that they were naked. Because God's like, who told you that? Think about that. God walked in and said, who told you you were naked? Their conscience did. Conscience did that. Conscience bears witness to the subject's own moral conduct in a moral sense. And that's why you can become self-conscious. Because you know from within what you really are, what you're really thinking, what you're really doing, okay? But you can't get away from that. But the minute that the conscience was awakened when they ate of the tree of of knowledge of good and evil, before they only knew the good. But when they ate of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, conscience became alive where they knew good and they knew bad. They, 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 they knew that. And imagine the first time they'd never felt anything but happiness and joy and peace. Things that God wants us to experience as Christians. Okay? But they felt for the first time shame, guilt, nakedness. Okay? But it all came from their conscience. Christ's blood. Now listen, guys. You've got to get the, the, the dualness of this. Christ's blood gives you forgiveness of sin and the purging of a guilty conscience before God and with yourself. I want to say that again. Christ's blood gives us forgiveness for sin or sins and the purging of guilt of our guilty conscience before God and with us. See, when Jesus took his blood and he went into the most holy place, And he poured that blood on the altar of the Lord. Forgiveness for all mankind was was accepted and secured at that point. Forgiveness for all mankind. But not only was there forgiveness, there was also a non-remembrance of those sins anymore. And that's why in Hebrews, two or three times, it says the Holy Spirit bears witness of this. The Holy Spirit says this. He said, the Holy Spirit writes his word on your heart. But the Holy Spirit says this, that your sins and iniquities, God says that your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. Now listen to this. That's very powerful. Because what's good for God ought to be good for us. Somebody, that's a good place to say amen. Amen. What's good for God ought to be good for us. It was good for God to say, I give forgiveness of sin but it was, the blood was also good enough for God to where he said, I don't even have consciousness of your sin, your sins of iniquities. Don't even remember them anymore. Don't even remember them anymore. I want you to remember that as we continue to move through this, 
this, this message. So the scripture says, because of that, Hebrews 10, if you get that in your mind, it, it kind of takes that awkwardness away. Anybody ever sinned against somebody or did something you knew was wrong and you kind of didn't want to see them at the store or you didn't want to kind of be in the same room or, or maybe you had an offense at the church and you kind of didn't even want to be in the same room and when you see them come in, you kind of, they're going through that door, you want to go through that door. There's an awkwardness. Any of you ever feel an awkwardness with God? Anybody ever felt an awkwardness with God? Uh, okay, but the Bible says here, let us go right into the presence of God. When you realize that God not only forgives you, but he doesn't remember it anymore. His consciousness of your sin and sins are not even remembered anymore. And because of that, the writer here says, go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts and fully trusting. You got to fully trust in the blood of Jesus. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled. Now this is dealing with guilty conscience before God. I'm going to show you in a little bit where there's a guilty conscience that's in man. But remember we said Godward, manward, and Satanward. The blood of Jesus deals with a guilty conscience, Godward, for our guilty conscience, Godward, has been sprinkled with Christ's blood. We're clean. And our bodies have been made washed pure. Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more, and I want you to remember this word, all morning because we're going to come back to this purge everybody say purge we're going to come back to that purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God if you ever wondered what a dead work is write this down a dead work is anything you do to earn or merit forgiveness and favor in my notes I put from God but we even do it with people Dead works is when, you, is when you're doing anything you feel so lousy and you and you're, have this inner torment that you're doing anything you can to, to make amends and to, to make reconciliation or you're doing all these works, 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 works to try to win the approval of the wife that you've betrayed or the husband that you've betrayed or, the, or, 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 or the, the relationship that got knocked out of account. Whatever it is, uh, when we go through those seasons... And there hasn't been full reconciliation with man or God. You go through that season where you're trying to make it right. You're, you're trying to make it right by a bunch of works. But here's the other thing you're doing. You're trying to make it right. You're trying to make it right with yourself because you feel so bad. So to me, that comes across, that can come in two ways. When you're trying to win back that approval because we've sinned against one another, we do all these acts of kindness and stuff that may not originate from a true sincere heart and so it's a dead work but the same thing from God when there's that awkwardness and there's that that feeling bad and feel like you're a strange relationship with God you start doing all this stuff that may not come from a cleansed pure heart and it's a dead work and it doesn't advance you at all to him the other thing is, so you can do that to God and you can do that to people, but you can also do it to yourself. Do you know that when you make a harebrained mistake, or that when, when things are done unto you, you, I think you can get over them quicker. It's when you do it to someone else, or the ones, if you're any kind of a person at all, if you have any kind of God in you at all, it ought to hurt you worse what you do to others than what's done to you. 
Anybody out there say amen? amen. But, 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 but when, when that, sometimes I feel like I need to pay for my mistake. I, I need to prove something. I, I need to make up for it. And guys, sometimes God is saying, Brian, with my relationship with him, sometimes he's saying, Brian, I've forgiven you. I don't even remember it anymore. I want you to move on. But I'll say, Lord, I can't move on. And I keep remembering or I keep thinking. And that's why, that's why you have to deal with things with God, Godward, but also you have to deal with things manwardly and with yourself. And, and the way that, that, that you, you could even sabotage your future. God lays everything out. And even the people, listen to this, even people that forgive you and, and, and things are going on, they want to move on. But you feel like you got to pay. You got to pay. You know, that's why David cried out, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And, and then it, you go a little bit further, and it says, restore unto me. The joy of my salvation. Because when you err in your way, it takes away the joy. But God can restore and he can put back that joy. Some of you, you're in, you're, in, you're in the steps to wholeness at Church on the Rock. You're in the steps where you've had some forgiveness. You're getting your conscience purged. But you're still not walking with joy and you're sabotaging your future because you don't think you're worthy to be happy. And we're going to get you past that too. Because God wants his people to be happy. Give the Lord hand praise today. He wants us to be happy. Now, if the blood purchased me, then why do I still, so feel, still feel so rotten? And why am I still dealing with this stuff? Being conscious of sin brings fear. When you're conscious of sin, it brings fear, it brings guilt. And it brings condemnation. One time I saw a picture of, I saw a picture in a book. And it unearthed around a plant. And when you're getting to the root of, of issues in life, of what's making you ineffective, what's causing that depression, what's causing that insecurity, what's causing that anger, what's, what's causing that? Because you got to get to the root but when you're unearthing the roots, a lot of times when you unearth things, you're going to see fear. But fear is, fear is there. Anxiety might be there. Worry might be there. Shame might be there. But those are not the deep roots. Those are roots underneath. And a lot of times in, 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 in our world, we don't even get under the ground. We just deal with the fruit of the tree above the ground. So if you even get to the point where you're starting to go to the root, then you're going to see, well, you do have fear, you do have guilt, you do have anxiousness, you do have that, but those are not the deep root you got to pull out. The deep root that you need to pull out is the root of condemnation. It's the root of condemnation. And the Bible says in Romans, I want you to turn to Romans. In Romans chapter 8, in Romans chapter 8, it says... It says, so now, everybody say now. Not, not tomorrow, not next week, not in 10 minutes from now. For now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I'm so glad I grabbed the Bible that says that and then puts a period on. 
Because some translation says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. How many of your translations say that? How many of your translation, if you read Romans 8.1, it says, it says this. For there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Who go, goes on and says that? Okay, this is not a sin and anything you should be feeling like you're doing, a, doing something to your Bible that's going to send you to hell. Cross that out. It's not in the Greek. It's okay. I remember the first time I felt, cross it out? You're not supposed to cross anything. Oh, if you change one dot or one diddle in the word of God, you're damned. No. People, even interpretations are different. Bible interpretations. When you go back to the original Greek, these interpreters, I think they just couldn't handle it. That there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. Because there's something in man that thinks, to those who walk after the flesh, it's like we got to do something. Well, if we're walking after the Spirit, not to the flesh, then there's no condemnation. Well, if we're doing something, but brothers and sisters, when it comes to God and forgiveness and getting whole, there ain't nothing, baby, that you're doing. It's what he did. 100%. 100%. So the Greek, the original text says there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus Period. Period. Rip that root out. Period. Amen. You could even get to 1 John 3.20. 1 John 3.20. It even says this. It's talking about awkwardness before God. And it says that somebody that fully understands the love of God, if you fully understand the love of God, then there is no fear to approach him. If you fully understand the love of God, there's no awkwardness. You're you're, you're good with, I can go before his presence because I know that the blood of Jesus forgives me and I'm accepted in him. Okay? So this is talking about a person in 1 John chapter 3. This is talking about a person that's very awkward in the presence of the Lord. And I love, God does it all for us. We didn't love him first. He loved us first. We didn't love him foremost. He loved us foremost. God always initiates and always does it first. Even in this, when when in this 1 John 3, it says about being awkward and all that stuff. Even look at 1 John 3, 24. If our hearts condemn us, God's even greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Do you think God doesn't see everything I I love this scripture it's way down in my notes but I'm going to stay pegged on that clock because I like I think when I preach 30 minutes it makes for better time of prayer it's just somehow we're wired or something and I want us to have time to respond but a a little bit further in my notes I, I, I love that place it says for if we walk in the light as he is in the light then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Okay, if you think of this scripture right here in 1 John 3, 20, for if our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our heart and he knows everything. Guys, in the Old Testament, if you read that story about Balaam, how many know about Balaam and Balak? If you read that story about Balaam and Balak, 
What it, 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 there's a verse in there that says this in the New King James Version. It says they were irreversibly blessed. When, when, the, when, when God's people were his people, they're irreversibly blessed. And every time that, that Balaam got up there and tried to curse God's people, he couldn't do it. He could only bless them with his mouth. He, he couldn't do it. Because of this right here, God knows all things and he's greater than our hearts. But some people just seem like you're okay with God as long as you're doing okay. That, that, that you can have fellowship with God as long as you haven't made any mistakes this week. I've had a good week of prayer. I've had a good week of Bible reading. Then I'll have a good week with God. As you mature, you will get away from that kind of Christian living. Because kind of like preaching, I'm to a point after doing it 30 years, I appreciate compliments, but compliments don't change me. Neither do insults. They neither one do. I'm, I'm, I'm settled on that. So, so you can't hurt me with your emails. You can't hurt me anymore. You used to be able to hurt me, but you can't anymore. Okay? Because every time you preach, you're never going to make 400 people happy. You just never are. As long as God's happy is when, it, is when things are happy. Okay? So, so our walk with God, our walk, I don't want to put this on me. I want to put it on him and you. Okay? I, I, take the light off me. I want to decrease. I want this to increase. So when you approach God, you need to get where you're the same. If you, if you had a lousy day, you can still have a good day in the presence of the Lord. If you've had a lousy day, you can still hear from God, and he's still going to talk to you. Amen. He's not angry at you. In fact, in, let me make sure I, I, I tie this up. The Balaam and Balak. The Balaam and Balak, they were irreversibly blessed because they were God's people. Every time Balaam tried to look down and to curse them, he couldn't. Now, I've told you this before. If you theologians have taken the numbers of the 12 tribes of Judah, and they have written out, and they have figured the tents and how they told them to set up when they camped. Anybody ever been camping? You have a certain way you set up camp? Well, a certain way that they set up camp the way they adjusted the tribes, it did this. Boom, 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 boom. Here's a cross. The reason they were irreversibly blessed is because when God looked down, he saw them through the cross. Brothers and, G brothers and sisters in Christ... We're talking millions of people. Hey, Dave, are you in here somewhere? How many people do you think was out traveling out of Egypt? Huh? Over 2 million people. Now, come on. 2 billion human beings? Was there a rape going on anywhere? Was there some man that slipped away with some girl? Was there a couple of teenagers in the back seat of a tent off on the side? 